0: for me it's it's just this focus on quality and quality to me is like yeah it's even hard to explain but like does it have that like energy or
1: feeling you're listening to the mouthwash podcast guys it's alex uh here again on the mouthwash podcast uh today i'm with mckenzie hey guys um mckenzie's actually in la um this time so like we're kind of in the same area um it's always it's always nice i feel like when we can be close as opposed to like across the country you know totally (laughs) um but yeah so one thing that this is kind of a, a thing that we've been trying to do is even on the first podcast, on the first season of the podcast, we primarily interviewed people who were photographers, people that really inspired us. And as we are growing and evolving and changing, and if you listen back to the first episode, we talked about some of the the ways that we wanted to change um, the kind of content that we're creating and the kind of information that we want to share. Is, and we feel as if it's really important to talk to people who are like creative entrepreneurs in a way. Um, people who are kind of building um, these platforms or building things that are a little bit bigger than themselves and they're not specifically tied to a certain medium. Um, I think there's a lot to learn from people who think this way. Um, I'm sure you would agree, Kins.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited to start branching out and reaching into different spaces and kind of give the listeners a different um, like feel of the podcast this season rather than – last season was so good and I think we got a lot of – like side by side, comparing different people's journeys to where they got. But this season kind of switching up the subject matter, I think will be really interesting.
1: Yeah. So like we and today, like today, the guest that we're talking to is somebody that I have kind of like a long history with and and then I have actually gotten the chance to introduce you to and we've both like worked Mm -hmm. on freelance projects with him. Like we've kind of run in the same circles. Mm -hmm. He's like the reason why I have the job that I currently do right now, Matt Black. It's just been somebody that I think you and I can consider some sort of like creative mentor to us. Somebody that has like taught us how to like think a little bit differently to stretch, you know, just kind of stretch like what we knew or thought we already knew um, just by challenging us and even just like being as nice of a person to be like, hey, like we should just talk this week and catch and chat up, you know, like and figure out, you know, those little things. So um, today we're actually talking to David Sherry. David is the founder of a company named Death to Stock Photo. Um, I'll let you, I'll let him talk a little bit more about that. He also has, um, some other things going on called no agenda. McKenzie actually did the rebranding for that. Um, McKenzie and I have both worked on projects for death, the stock, um, and just somebody that, who I think is really dialed in and really focused as far as like, um, being able to think differently and like, not, he's never been somebody that like kind of just does the same thing over and over again because it works. He's always experimenting. And I, I really, really like admire, um, mm-hmm. the way he kind of tackles those things. So, um, David, what's up? What's up? Thank you so much for that like
0: just super kind intro and I kind of feel like you guys are my inspiration a little bit too so it definitely goes both ways and I think this topic of moving from being like an artist to an entrepreneur is a really interesting topic to kind of get into because we just have so many opportunities today like on the internet to kind of branch out and not just get totally pegged into to one area and I think as the industry of photography changes it's like really smart to diversify in that way so good topic cool. choice and uh yeah glad to be chatting with some inspirations of my own and awesome. also i appreciate the work we've done together in the past too so yeah it's good for, maybe we're we'll kind of, it. yeah
1: yeah no problem and maybe we'll kind of throw in the link like the links in the episode of like some of the projects that we've done with you but for sure yeah, yeah um, like i you know uh yeah i was gonna say mckenzie i know you've got the no agenda rebrand up on your website and um
0: Alex, uh, we featured some of his photography in an email really when you moved out to L.A. Actually, it was like right when you're taking your move from Chicago to L.A. So it's kind of an interesting timing as well to
1: start working together. Yeah, it was really interesting. I actually tell people this all the time because people ask me how I uh, kind of got introduced to Matt Black or whatever. And it was funny because I tell them like, yeah, I was like this 18 year old kid. And so David and I are both from Columbus, Ohio. Um, and at the time I was like 18. Like I just got to college. I was like running around taking photos of my iPhone and like. I had heard these things about this guy named David. He owns this company called Teppes Stock. and I was like just shooting my shot, trying to like get whatever work I could, right? So like, um, I meet David at Fox in the Snow, which if you're from Columbus, shout out! It's a great coffee shop. I don't know what it's like now, but it's like the hip coffee shop to go. <laughs> the to. It's the, the only one family. that you can go to, yeah. And it's it's
0: yeah, Columbus is a small world because you definitely start seeing the same people around, and you're like, man, All I always check out with the camera. Like, yeah, what's what's that
1: about? You know? Yeah, what's his deal? Yeah, exactly. So it it was funny because like. At the time, like, at the time, I was definitely trying to, like, figure out how I could work with other people in the area. And I definitely wasn't ready. I think you knew I wasn't ready. But it was cool to, like, two years later, like, after I was living in Chicago for a little bit and was about to move to L.A. And there was, like, a lot of opportunity for us to start working together. And then um, you have even been so kind to me to just, like, introduce me to to people you knew already out here. Um, And then even Mm -hmm. through that process, I was able to introduce you to Mackenzie, And you guys were able to, like, work on stuff together as well.
0: Right. And you definitely kind of grinded it out. I mean, that was like a good few years of uh, doing photography in Ohio and then photography in Columbus. And it's funny because we really started the same way. Like I kind of started uh, as a photographer with Death to Stock. And like my original pitch to companies was just like, hey, there's this thing called Instagram. Like, how are you going to have enough high quality content to fill your Instagram? Um, So it's kind of funny because I feel like I started like in a similar way. I was like pitching local businesses in Columbus
1: and then You know kind of branched out into its own business really totally yeah so why don't you talk to us a little bit about um i think and i think people are confused about and even i was confused about like what death to stock was and is but i think as i've gotten to know you and i've learned more um, i think the business model is incredibly interesting in the way that you've been able to bootstrap the whole thing so like you didn't secure any funding at first um, and you kind of were doing the whole thing by yourself for a little bit.
0: Right. Well, I, I had a business partner that was Allie, um, but maybe we could talk about like the project that came together for us. Like, I guess, do you remember exactly what I told you when we kind of reached out and first kind of had that conversation? Because I feel like even going through our project together is kind of a good example of like how the business itself runs.
1: Yeah. You want me to explain that? I mean, I can... Well, yeah, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how, how I kind of reached <laughs> out and how we started that discussion. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I I guess you were, so uh, I guess from like a structural standpoint, Death to Stock is like this subscription based service where you can get like premium stock photography because brands and blogs and stuff like that always need good content, right, for their website. Yeah. And I think the way that you positioned it was through like a narrative, they were like narrative based projects. So when you reached out to me, you were like, hey, like we'd love to work on a project with you. And I was like, well, I'm actually about to move to LA, so I'm a little busy. And you kind of turned that opportunity into a way to like create content out of it. Right. So yeah, exactly. Kind of photographed this series of images about me moving from Chicago to LA and kind of, we even wrote like a post about it, a blog post, which we can attach in here too. something, somebody actually just emailed me about it the other day. Oh, Um, that's crazy. So So that's
0: kind of like how, um, the business model is really, it is a subscription. Like you said, brands pay for access to monthly packages of photos and videos and basically every month we work with different artists to produce that type of media. And the example that you kind of gave of your, um, package, which was like well-timed with your move from Chicago to LA, like that's essentially how we work with photographers. We kind of pick different people every month and similar to the project we do with McKenzie, it was like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, brands pay because they know that every month they're going to get a new package from a new photographer or artist. Um, and they can use it in their work. They can use it in their blogs or websites or Uh, really like any type of content they need to put out. It could be on their Instagram or their email. Um, And I think the way it's kind of stayed fresh is that we're always working with new artists and we're always kind of like, I guess, just looking to make sure we have a natural alignment with the different photographers. So like, that's why Alex, with your project, it was a really natural fit because you had this real story that was going on in your life and we wanted to document that. And uh, I think that's why our photography is a lot different. Like obviously there's a stigma around stock photos just in general. It's like, People knew it as this really cheesy medium, but if you plug into uh, real stories and a variety of up-and-coming photographers, I think you can make something really unique that really helps our customers stand out, I guess.
2: I feel like that's like a super unique part of the way that I worked with you on that project and also sounds like the way that you worked with Alex on that is I think... Like one of the reasons why like you're getting these awesome premium photo packs and like there's there is that narrative behind it is because you're it's not just like you have this assignment, you're picking a photographer, you put them together. It's like Alex was going through this thing, he's moving. So like, what can we do with that? And for me and you, it's like, okay, there's this no agenda thing, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What can we make out of that? So the work is kind of like stemming up out of the problem instead of like the other way around where you're just like picking two things from two different buckets and putting them together and say like, okay, go work on this.
0: Yeah, um, really starting from like the person as well. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. part of why people really connect with the imagery and kind of resonate with it is like, it's all kind of real, I guess, to the artist, And we don't, we don't really like try to like force people to do something different. It's a little bit more like, what do you have going on? What's interesting to you? What are you inspired by right now? And like, let's go produce mm-hmm. that. So yeah, it's a little bit different. Like instead of having people just submit images to us like a typical stock, com- stock company, we kind of go out and find photographers and then um, tell interesting stories. And that's kind of how we produce the the media that we produce. So I think that's like why people really resonate, I guess, with our content just in general is they know that
1: it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, so- how would you say like – so I think maybe one of the scariest things about – um, making things, even even from a like the, the most rudimentary level of like posting um, work online as a photographer or designer is like the question, or like a musician is like, will people like this? Like, will, <laughs> right. will people even care about this? Do they even care that I care about it? Um, and I, David, I think so. So I guess like to backtrack and give people context. How many mm-hmm. how many subscribers do you have to this list of people who? So you have like a general email list that's free, right? And then you have like a premium list that people sign up for and pay for, right? Yeah. So it started
0: as a, as an email list that was just free. So like back in the early days, I was just shooting photography and then sharing it. Um, and the basic pitch was sign up for 10 free photos every month using your own projects. And that quickly grew from, you know, my 10 friends who were signed up or whatever to maybe like 20,000 people within the first six months. So it was definitely my first project that I like saw a lot of traction on right away. And I think that was something where I was like, Oh shit, like this is something that people are like really, uh, really digging. Like maybe I should spend more time on this and actually turn it into a business. And that's kind of when the business model started of people paying for access and not just getting it for free. But yeah, at this stage it's like, well, it's actually kind of funny because we grew the email list probably to about 500,000 people, like maybe 550 or something like that. But what happens over time with email is people kind of like fall off the list and, people change jobs and stuff like that. So we've actually been cleaning out our email a lot because it's definitely like a vanity metric, you know, it's kind of one of those things. That it's like, it's, it's good for, um, you know, when you work with companies and stuff like that, like you want to have a big list, but really like more and more, I'm kind of focused on a deeper connection with like less people. So um, we've actually like been pruning that down, but yeah, it reached all the way up to maybe 550,000 um, subscribers before we kind of started pruning that off. But yeah, so it started as an email list and, once there was you know maybe a few months in once enough people had signed up i started thinking to myself like oh this is like people are clearly really enjoying getting this photography every month like i said in the beginning it was just myself and my business partner Ali. we were taking all the photos and just sharing it and it definitely was like a different time back then like it's hard to remember but back in 2013 like instagram wasn't even on um, android at that point so like it was still pretty early days just in general for like photography online so I think our work was just like, it was very different than what was out there. And I think that's changed a bit now. So like the market looks totally different at this point, but like mm-hmm. back then, I think the reason it was so compelling of an offer was um, our work looked totally different. It was human kind of like what Mackenzie was saying. It, it didn't look the same and it didn't have the same story. And we were just really open about like kind of who we were and what we were thinking about. And so every email that we'd send out to this uh, mailing list would come with like a story and, um, maybe it was like a story behind a photographer where we worked with, or maybe it was like a story behind like just something we were interested in. So uh, it kind of functioned like a blog almost a little bit. Like I feel like people nowadays, like, well, I guess it's not cool anymore, but nowadays do like the super long Instagram posts where they write like, you know, 10 paragraphs or whatever. We were kind of doing that same thing, but like over email and the photos that we'd send out, you could actually download and use. So if you were a designer or a web developer or something like that, it was like, you could not only enjoy, Uh, the Mm. photography and the story, but you could also like get inspired and then go create with it right away. And I think that was kind of the secret sauce really, I guess, in the early days is, um, you know, there's a lot of companies that provide tools. Like if you think about like Adobe Illustrator or Photoshop or something like that, it's like, it's a tool that you can go use to create. And then there's all these websites like, you know, Site Inspire or something like that where you're, you're getting inspiration. But I feel like rarely were they really like overlapped in that way. Um, where it was telling a story that was inspiring you at the same time as giving you an asset that you could then go build with. So it's kind of like this like mix between a tool and an inspiration. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that was like a kind of a potent thing that people really uh, dug and ended up, um, I guess, like really like latching onto. And I think that's why the community kind of built the way it did.
1: Um, Do you, um, what was I going to say? I can't remember. No, wait, yeah, I can. Mackenzie, <laughs> I have a question for you. <laughs> What's up? Um, do you remember I, I remember like when we were starting Mouthwash like a year ago, um, I was kinda telling you, I was like, Man, this there's this guy, David, he does this thing, Death the Stock, and I was and I was really, really curious and fascinated by this idea of kind of giving away your work for free mm-hmm. uh, in a way to to gain trust with an audience, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so I was watching David from afar and I was like, Man, he just like because for me like as like as part of this like you know this the photographer world or the on twitter instagram where everybody has to complain about like don't give away any work for free don't do anything like you know that and i've always been challenged by that by watching david um where he built an email list of five hundred and fifty thousand people by taking photos and giving away for free um and david and i have even had this conversation before where yeah, you give your best work away for free. So when the time comes that you put a price tag on something, people will mm. assume that it's going to be better than what was given away for free, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so even in the early days of Mouthwash, we we could have really easily just like promoted every episode with just like, hey, we have a new episode on our SoundCloud or whatever, but we kind of took it to the edge and designed like a whole asset or we designed an Instagram story or whatever. Um, so by the time it was time to sell a magazine, we had already mm. gained trust in our audience, right? Totally. Um, so yeah, I don't know, do you remember kind of when we were in that stage and you're like, why are we like, you know, why why are we putting all this out for free? Like, why are we, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was totally like at the foundation of when we were even trying to decide what we wanted to do and why we wanted to do it. And so I think like because we started out by laying that foundation of let's like bring everything to its like highest potential. Let's just do it all like even if it was like night of, we're like, no, we're gonna do this. And I think that adds so much credibility and like, weight to whatever you're putting out. Like, it's not just an episode, but like, we ourselves are so excited about this and so stoked on it. And like, in our personal accounts, in our like, just the way we talk about it and present it, like, we're all we're giving away like all of that. And um, like, the podcast is free and all of this stuff. So I think like, we had dreams about the magazine and about all this other stuff we wanted to like maybe sell or like grow, but we're like the podcast is like a perfect place to start of like free stories, free advice. Like people are dying to hear that and dying to hear how, you know, how people are building things and growing things. And like people are desperate to know that because they can't do it themselves and they don't know how to start. So giving away like this information is, I think that's like, was a um, a really perfect way for us to start yeah
1: totally and i think and we totally modeled that after like what i was learning through david Mm -hmm. and david i'm kind of curious too like what what was your inspiration for just giving things away for free was there intention behind that or was it just like i just want to give this away and see that's a good question
0: well i guess like one thing i tack on to mackenzie's point that i think is really interesting is like she was saying that like you guys were excited yourself and you feel like it was like your best work and so like I think people can really tell when you're genuinely sort of like into your own work and just like happy sort of making it. I think that's like really attractive. I think in, Mm -hmm. in this conversation of attracting a new audience, like I think that kind of goes a long way. So um, I'm trying to think of like why we made the decision to kind of give stuff away for free. Um, I think honestly it was because I wasn't getting the work that I wanted. Like I was pitching companies Mm -hmm. sort of like Alex, like, trying to be a photographer, trying to tell them like, Hey, there's this thing, Instagram, like you should like really up your content game. Like, let me come on as a photographer and shoot for you. Um, and I just wasn't, yeah, honestly, it was like, I wasn't getting the work I wanted. So Mm. I decided just to make the work that I would like to do for a company, um, on my own dime, and then put that out so that people were aware of the work and just like the quality level, Um, So I think that's like kind of how people can start down that path is just saying like, well, I'm not getting hired anyways, you know, and I want to prove to like this audience or people that I can do work of this quality. So maybe I should just make it myself and, um, and share that and let people sort of experience it and try it out. And then, you know, enough people ended up finding that work to be interesting using it in their own projects that they said, Hey, this is really valuable. And so, you know, I think after maybe six months of doing the email list for free, we said, hey, uh, remember how we've been giving you stuff free? Um, You know, we think we've given you a lot of value over the last six months. Um, Do you want to pay to get a little bit more value and continue kind of getting this type of work, Um, but maybe in a more personal way, maybe with some extra benefits? And so I think when we did that, our goal was like, we said, okay, 500 people will pay for this now. Like, we'll turn this into a business. And I think like 400 people (laughs) uh, ended up paying for it. But like, they paid for it like in a day, like it was probably like a 24 hour thing. And I think that is sort of the power of building up, um, attention and trust like ahead of time. So yeah, I kind of feel like the reason we did stuff free was because, um, we weren't being paid anyways. And I think that's like pretty common for artists uh, who are kind of starting out is like, they don't always get the assignment they want. So you kind of have to go out there and like create that assignment yourself. And the best way to get that in front of people, at least for us at that time was like sharing it in a way that was actually valuable. So it's not just even sending it. And like, it wasn't even just us sending it and saying like, Hey, look how good at photography we are. Is like, Hey, you can actually just go use this right now. Um, and so that was like even more value I think for those people. So when it came t- it, when it came time to be like, Hey, like who wants to pay for this? Um, you know, it, it sold out in like basically like a day. And I, I think that was probably the same for your magazine it was like, you did all of the work selling ahead of time. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was just like people know.
2: Yeah. It's, it's interesting, actually, this – me and Alex were talking about this earlier today in terms of design or working with brands, but I think it kind of connects with this is, like, if you're working with a brand that knows nothing about design or nothing about, like, good content, like, half of that relationship is you educating them on, like – the purpose of what you're doing and the value of it. So I think you giving away that stuff for free at first and showing them how it could work and how it could work in their advantage. Like that was you educating them and like teaching them about how this works. And then after that, they understand why that's important, but people sometimes won't just like believe it offhand or take your word for it, especially if that's not like their expertise or not their like area. So I think you giving that away, informed them about why it was important and then mm-hmm. it became important to them
0: right and I, mean, I
1: feel like they maybe live they they use it to the point where it's like oh like i can't <laughs> it's almost like um when you think about any subscription service it's like spotify now it's like i've used this and there's just no way i'm not gonna not pay for spotify now <laughs> you we'll know go what go I mean? like, right. it. like you, you it becomes a part and i david i think you and i have even talked about this that like death of stock has become a part of people's online experience or their workflow or their um you know whatever they do to to get things mm-hmm. done like it's become a like a very vital and critical part of that um which is really cool as yeah well. and i
0: think all like good new ideas do exactly what Mackenzie is saying is that you like educate your consumer about something new um, but you also have to like break their old narrative so mm-hmm. you know spotify is not the same as going to the cd store and like buying a bunch of cds or whatever mm. um and so like sometimes when you introduce that it, people don't always get it right away and that's why you know, it takes a long time for Spotify to sort of build up to the place it is now. Um, So I think for us, it was probably more breaking the narrative of what stock photography could be. So, you know, in the old world, it's like everybody knows kind of the, you know, the comical stock photography with white background or whatever. And so I think part of the education and the like breaking um, of their expectations was like, hey, this is one, it's free, but it's also way better quality than anything you're paying for. So I think that was like, part of it as well is just uh yeah when someone tries it you know and the easiest way to get someone to try something is um giving it away free is once they try it and then saw that it was so different than what they expected and so much higher quality um I think that was kind of why people really like bought into the idea uh so yeah
1: do you think there's like a level of um I don't know because you and I talk about this a lot too is like you have like like for this is like probably one of the easiest examples is like a store like supreme that they can like you know make (laughs) if they know they can sell 600 of one item they only make 300 of it um i guess it's like a little bit different from what you're doing but as far as exclusivity do you think there was like a little like touch of like like people that were in the know on death to stock like do you think like they felt felt like empowered by um being part of the club essentially like oh i know about this thing and like they want to tell their friends about it, or maybe they don't want to tell their friends about it, or they got excited when they, somebody else knew about that. Yeah, de- you know? definitely. Uh, I, th- I think there's a magic to that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think we are people's like secret weapon. Like we had a lot of our paying customers tell us that they actually didn't want to share it with other people, um, which is kind of like not exactly what you want for, uh, yeah. you know, you want, you kind of want your paying customers to like refer people. But um, yeah, I definitely think that any, any company that gains traction tends to um connect really well with a small group but not everybody and then kind of moves up that adoption curve so that more and more people sort of start buying in so for sure there was like i think everybody it was funny because we never talked about numbers in the early days and so like i think people felt like it was their secret tool or weapon like up until like probably there was like 200,000 people on the email list cuz we we always made <laughs> yeah. it seem yeah well the other thing that was funny is people always thought we were a huge company um and really it was, it's like pretty much been like two people the entire time. Um, so yeah, I think like one thing I liked kind of doing at least initially was never having an about page. Um, and we kind of still do that now. Like we still love an about page. And I think when you kind of remove stuff like that, it, it maybe feels a little bit more like you found this thing that no one else knows about. Uh, and like, you don't even know exactly who these people are, where they come from, what their background is like, uh and uh, yeah it kind of yeah. added i think maybe a little bit to that allure of like this is something that i only know about and um it makes it more special in that way
1: and you kind of like build a characteristic of like mystery in it and people like you let the work speak for itself like people have to go figure it out figure out what it is right. themselves yeah and th- you th- we think we think about like i was actually at a, uh talking to one of the like the product designers of Visco and he was saying that Um, And this kind of goes back and alludes to the um, thing you were talking about where you're trying to kind of whittle down your list and kind of get an audience that's more Mm -hmm. focused. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I was talking to him as a designer at Visco, and he was saying that like there's like full intention of not really explaining what their little tools or buttons have. Like a lot of the times there's no, I think they have now, but there was a brief period of time where all it was was symbols and icons. And they said they really wanted people who were curious enough to go figure out what the app did. To be their audience mm-hmm. like they didn't want to make something for the masses like they mm-hmm. made a product that was specifically designed for the the artists and creatives of the world or the people who were curious enough to genuinely figure out what all this thing could do you know yeah, you uh, and videos. i think that kind of alludes into like that at the about page kind of thing is like are you curious enough to figure out who we are as at death to stock like are you curious enough to figure out all the creative ways that this can be used because they would they would compare it to a tool like instagram where they would release a new feature and they would tell you exactly how to use it and they said that because of that, it limited um, the level of creativity because n- now you're given the instructions on this is how you use it. If you don't use it this way, you're using it wrong. Um, but when you kind of leave it open-ended, you let people be creative and they make new ways for that platform to, to exist as opposed to, to only being told how to use it one way. You know?
0: Yeah, no, totally. I think a good sign like early on if you're onto something is that people are using it in weird ways. Um, so like we were always like most excited by like the strange emails that we get where people are like you know our office has tv monitors everywhere and like we put every time there's a new pack that comes out like we put all the new photos up on the monitors as the screensavers or like (laughs) like we, we printed out those photos and like hung them up on the wall for a music video or something like that just to be like the aesthetic in the music video or like yeah anytime people are using your stuff in weird ways i think it shows that they're like Yeah, they've invested the time to sort of like explore on their own, which I think is kind of what you're saying about the the Visco example. And the hard thing is your audience does change over time. And so, you know, even with Visco, I'm sure they had to like get a little bit more and more explanatory as they kind of grew. And I think Mm -hmm. that happens a little bit with numbers and, um, you know, our kind of the way our business functions now is definitely different than it was in the early days. And like, I think you know, I, I know the show is, right now is a lot about like kind of like that early attention. So I think, I think you want to kind of make sure that you're, yeah, making for the smallest possible audience and really delighting them um, because that's the only way that you can kind of get something rolling. And these problems of having uh, kind of more people down the road where you have to like maybe explain things more, like that's a good problem to have. And I think uh, is in some ways maybe easier to solve than like, how do you kind of get that first traction to get people like really obsessed? Hmm. but yeah but yeah so um i mean i guess the other thing i'd say about that is just like it's it one thing that you can do that's like pretty fun is if you have a smaller group or a smaller audience you can kind of get self-referential um i try to do this my emails a little bit as well like my personal emails is um if it's if people think it's this small club that not that many people know about you kind of want to like signal to everybody that like this is a small club that not that many people know about so you can kind of like make inside jokes with the audience or you can like reference Mm. things from six months ago and that's a good way of not explaining as well like bringing up an idea or something from your past or something about you without explaining it um because it kind of just shows that like if you've been around for the past six months or whatever you would have gotten that joke you know and i think Mm, that makes people kind of buy in and i think when we see cult tv shows or um you know like cult classics and stuff like that it's all kind of the group who loves it gets it and the group who doesn't sort of doesn't Um, and all those tiny little details that you might add into your product or your email um, really add up and so i think another thing maybe as an example of that that we did at least with depth of stock that was really effective was um so the premise was you know sign up every month get free photos by by um, email and a lot of times we'd actually send out emails that didn't have free photos but they'd have something completely different or random um like we do fun little surveys or giveaways or um i remember like we did this one campaign where it was literally like a shitty iphone video of the ocean um and like the the subject line was just like take a breath and it was just like the email was just like this gif of waves and it was just like you know take a second to like breathe or whatever (laughs) um and i think mixing things up and breaking their expectation of even what they're sort of expecting um from you and and how you've built that audience, I think is another interesting way to like get more buy-in from that uh, variety, I suppose.
2: Mm -hmm. And there's like an ownership in that. Like if people are picking up on that, like there's nothing like talking to someone about something that you just learned about. And then being like, Oh, well like, did you catch this one thing Mm -hmm. or just knowing those little bits and pieces creates that? Like people want to pay attention then. And they're like, okay, I'm really going to like make sure I check next time. So I don't miss it. And that, like, ownership, I think, is something that will turn any just, like, brand to, like, a more, like, personal experience, which I think is something we're definitely shooting for in Mouthwash and, like, kind of creating this, like, relationship where people feel like they're part of it and they want to, like, know the ins and outs. And it's kind of, like, there's kind of a mystery to it, but that's, like, kind of why they have to look further and, like, search around, so. Mm-hmm.
1: It's mostly a mystery because we don't have the time <laughs> to do everything that we want to do.
2: <laughs> it's an mystery, but it works in our favor.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. But... Yeah, I think you're totally right.
0: And just, I mean, I think it goes back even a little bit to like what we were talking about with like education is if you can break somebody's expectations for what they think a thing should be, I think it's always a good way to kind of like attract people. So, you know, for our photography, because it was story-based, because it looked different, it kind of broke their expectation, and educated them on um, stock photography doesn't have to look like that. It can look like this. And then as Mm -hmm. they get adjusted to us being the stock photography company, And we put out a playlist or we fund a music video or we talk about how we're obsessed with this like random dj or something like that and i i feel like people uh some people really get that and they're like oh this isn't just like a stock photography company they like have personality and they have other interests too um and some people might see that and they're like dude why am i not just getting my photos this month like why are you talking about this totally random thing but um i think it's better to please kind of the people who are really interested in that than I guess, care about over-explaining to people who don't mm-hmm. that. So I think, yeah, I guess maybe a lot of it is like you educate and create like this new expectation or standard, and then you have to break that expectation or standard, um, you know, at some point down the road again. Uh, yeah. So yeah.
1: David, can we talk about like, <clears throat> I think one of the most fascinating things about how you've built community is and I know we've mentioned that, but maybe people don't fully understand this because I don't think this is like a very modern way of building audience or community right now is is through email yeah. lists. like if you guys sign up for David's email list, he'll send these um and he's even inspired me to do my own too which is it's actually been a lot of fun but like he's kind of inspired people you created this email list where you kind of just like write um down like thoughts or like ideas or whatever and it's almost like in a blog but it gets sent straight to you mm-hmm. um so I'm kind of curious just like in a world where people don't read like people don't read anymore um how are you like c- continuing to build this list of people who are curious as to like what you have to say like what do you think is like the key to like where have you found success in that and where are the things that you haven't found success it's a good
0: question i mean the good thing about email is it's the only place that's not getting like limited like if you built your audience on facebook now you have to pay for it um obviously instagram changes Mm. the algorithm and it's um tougher to get the same reach and so the nice thing about email is it's kind of like the place that always um is not going to be blocked by that type of thing Um, but it's also like the same place that people check every day i think that people have like a they have like an insatiable appetite for quality so if you make something truly quality people will pay attention for a really long amount of time um and so like if you were to make an album that's four hours long if it's like the best album ever people will listen um so i think like i guess as far as like attention and time to me people have the time um they just don't have time for something that's not i guess like worthy of their time whatever that means to them um so I don't really have any fear I suppose about like writing something that's super long or super short um I try to just make sure that whatever I'm writing is like I find really interesting and I'm really excited about it uh and it's funny because I kind of like know when my writing is gonna like hit or not um and more and more I'm trying to like restrain myself from just sending stuff out that like I didn't really feel like really had whatever that thing is um Mm -hmm. but yeah so the email list is like just it's a lot of it is thoughts about like just the creative mindset just in general um so it's kind of like a lot of nuance about why we get stuck uh why we might have fear about putting our our work um and I think that's like a topic that a lot of people can relate with so yeah I just think I'm probably talking about topics that people want to talk about more but aren't having as many discussions and then I think in my like excited uh, discovery or exploration of those ideas. I share that out loud. And, um, yeah, I, it's interesting because I almost feel like I get more reaction and response from those emails than like even stuff with bigger audiences might, um, with like that, the soccer other projects too. So, um, I don't know, I guess for me, it's, it's just this focus on quality and quality to me is like, it, yeah, it's even hard to explain, but like, does it have that like energy or feeling that I'm like really, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that I really have when I created
1: that thing. and, and put yeah. it out? It's something, almost like, oh, go ahead. Ken's. I was
2: just going to say something I love about your emails, David, is sometimes I click on them and I don't like, I have to actually pay attention to see if this is like an email that you sent just to me or like it was part of your email yeah. list. And which I really love that because one, like if it if your emails were to look like if they were like crazy over designed and all this stuff like i think i would have less interest in reading it because that kind of like rolls in more with all the clutter of the rest of my emails but i get this like clean email it's written really personally i mean who knows like you're sending it to this massive list of people but i feel like it's just written to me and then it like makes me think about what you're writing and like you said like some of them are really long and some of them are really short but the reason why i stop and read it is because I sometimes can't tell the difference as if like it's just an email you're shooting to me or your email list. And I love that. And that's like Mm -hmm. so interesting and like even in a marketing and design standpoint. That was
0: definitely the idea. And I know I'm like just saying this over and over again, but like, again, that like breaks your expectation of what an email list could be. So Mm -hmm. um, when I started that email list, I basically said to people on the death of stock list, like, Hey, I'm going to do something new. It has nothing to do with photos. Uh, Like sign up if you want to see what that's about. And that was like the first kind of like communication. And then uh, the thought behind it was do everything completely the opposite. And, and yeah, write Like I'm writing to a friend. And so if I'm writing to a friend, I'm not going to style it with all this stuff. I'm not going to like overdress it, you know? I um, mean, I just feel like so many totally. email list, I mean, every different marketing channel sort of gets ruined by like whatever's uh, kind of like the main marketing culture of that channel. So um you know, all the emails start looking the same. A lot of the social stuff starts looking the same. Um, I didn't feel like anybody was owning like that personal sort of interaction. Um, So I thought that was like why it might be interesting to people. Uh, So that was definitely the intention, I'd say, at least in starting that.
2: Also, just to say, I'm very (laughs) impressed with how many you send out. And I'm, I can't even, I try and sit down and write one thing and it takes me for, and I'm definitely out of practice, but, I am constantly amazed and impressed by how much you write and think about this That's stuff. Funny.
1: And they're like all so like crazy thoughtful. <laughs> I
2: know. I'm like, this isn't real. Well, like he's had, he's like, what? Well,
0: uh, it's funny because that, I mean, I, I think, you know, for people listening, like these are all like the decisions that are like tough to make when it comes to building your audience. Because, you know, part of me, in the back of my mind will say, well, you can't send out three posts per day. Right. Because, that marketing uh, blog that I read says that you should schedule them like once per day in the morning or whatever. Or like I just feel like we can like limit ourselves a little bit, and it it is a balance um, for sure. Like sometimes because I, I will send out three emails in one day, which like <laughs> is not for everybody. And I'll send them all out after nine p.m. or you know at three right. p.m. or th- it doesn't matter. Like I didn't set any rules for that type of thing. Um, and yeah, this is like the balance of kind of like building a community where they know what you're about, um, but also like making it, I guess, for like the diehard people. And so in my mind, if, if someone really likes the email list, they open it like as it comes in immediately. And if it's three, like even better, you know, And I guess we could even think about it and there is some balance here. Like you don't want to just like, like when Kanye joined Twitter, he started tweeting like way too much, um, in my opinion, but maybe there's some people where like every single Kanye tweet is like something they're hyped about.
1: I was actually hanging out with somebody the other day that had like Connie's like Twitter notifications on. And I was like, man, you're like a real, yeah, man that. that's cool. Yeah. So
0: I guess like, I mean, there's definitely a balance, but I think once again, in the early days of building your audience, like you want to kind of produce as much as you possibly can for the people who care. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of think that while I don't want to send out 10 posts per day, like I think there's probably people on the list who, if I send out three emails, like it's even better than if I just send out one. Um, and I think that's maybe hard even for artists to remember is that like, it's not that you're interrupting people if they care about your work, like they're actually glad that you showed up and mm-hmm. they're happy to buy from you. Like, I think that's the other thing too, that people sort of don't remember is like, and this is like a bad example, but if you're in the desert and you need water, like you're really glad when you see like the water bottle person show up like you're like very glad to go pay for that um and so right. i think people forget too that like yeah if you kind of build that audience or if people like start sort of enjoying your work they're glad that you showed up you're not like bothering them by um you know to a point but you're like you're not bothering them by like producing that thing and putting it out
1: right i think we get in our own heads about i, th- I think we get fed so much stuff that we don't need That we kind of trick ourselves into thinking that well they don't need what i care about and that's not necessarily true you know all the time yeah it's like the opposite it's Uh, like the
0: more strange uh and like random the thing you care about and like the more unabashedly you put that out the more other people mm -hmm. are like oh thank god someone's talking about that because i thought i was the only person who like thought this thing or um you know wanted to to work like that and like I think a lot of at least the email list that we're talking about now yeah it's it's called creative caffeine like i think a lot of it is permission um and so maybe even permission for some of my audience is like if they see me sending out three emails at 9 p.m (laughs) like that's permission that they don't have to necessarily follow like some strict marketing schedule that is like invented you know Mm, Um, so i think yeah if i can give permission in the email or by my actions um you know, I think that's something that, like, is also helpful to people that they're welcoming into their inbox or their social feed or, you know, wherever they find your work.
1: Mm. I think there was, like, um, and we'll move on in a second away from email, but there was a really interesting post and something I thought about. It was like, I like the way you mix it up from, like, um, sometimes the emails will be kind of written in the direction of kind of this conversation we're having right now about like a very like relatable topic on how to get people to care about like the things that you make or um, things like that. Or even you even wrote a post one time that was talking about like, here are like five things that I look for in a coffee shop. Like this is like mm. where I make my most efficient work is like if the table's is <laughs> the right height or like if the music is right, you know, like things like that. And so I think there's a level of that that brings it down to make it not so serious. I think about like Seth Godin and how his emails are so good, but sometimes they're so serious yeah. and so like, um, t- goal task oriented that I'm like man do you I, do you even actually follow all of these things yourself you know so you kind of bring it down to like a really relatable level and we're like oh yeah uh, while I know that you're also thinking about how do I get people to care to my, about my work I know you're also thinking about like this seat at the coffee shop is super shitty and I can't get anything done you know like there's, there's levels of like relatability yeah that,
0: and that you you, and with. you can like break like i don't know if you know the term like break the third wall which is like in a movie where like the actor like talks to the audience um <laughs> one thing i've been like kind of enjoying too is that you can do that sometimes as well where like yeah maybe a bunch of serious posts in a row where you're talking about like yeah branding or something like that and then you can sort of like break the third wall and like yeah talk about something totally different and direct it at the mm-hmm. audience um, and you can even like when it's done in the right way it's almost like really interesting like um i almost wrote a post that i actually didn't send out but like where i was going to talk about how i was trying to survey this very audience like i was trying to like figure something out from your wall and i couldn't um so like being transparent <laughs> in that way or like breaking the third wall or yeah i guess just maybe it's a variety thing i guess too but
1: hmm. um but switching off emails talk so- about it, yeah Right, email. checking out email. Yeah, yeah. yeah enough. About right, email. That's There's it probably like people are there, like, about that are like, <laughs> people are like, wait, you still subscribe to email? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm that's kidding. a good point. Um,
0: um, I was gonna say we could talk about some some newer up? newer tools or something like that. I I'd be curious, even you know, your guys' perspective too, because it is interesting. Like, if you're building an audience today, um, you know, how do you where do you start and, um. You know, obviously, even like an Instagram or something like that is pretty noisy. You feel mm. like Twitter is your main channel for kind of communication, or is it Instagram, or what's the thing?
1: Uh, yeah, I I mean, I'll answer this, and I'm, I'll let you answer this after this. Is is that? I don't know. I think personally, um, I I've been on Twitter for like a really long time since I was like in the eighth grade. It was like where I went to like, like it was like my online diary that. I don't know, I just like wrote things and like was honest and transparent about it. And almost in the way that you use email, I was using Twitter to just like write really honest thoughts about like, this is how I was feeling right now. And I don't really like, I don't really care whether or not people agree with it or disagree with it. Um, and through that and like adding like a mixture of photos, I kind of like built a following of people who like they're photographers too, or they're artists too. And they also think the same way that I do, or they also like relate to certain things um, that I do as well. Um, and I think I've, like, been able to, like, kind of build, like, a like a community or, like, a following of people on Twitter who just kind of, like, feel it. Like, I, I felt that. Like, I feel the same way as you. And obviously, like, things have changed. Like, Twitter's definitely not, like, it's more of, like, a, a comedy timeline for me now. It's, like, something that I laugh at or whatever. And <laughs> the conversations, I, I used it as a place to escape from real life almost when I was, like, in high school because I wasn't around anybody that's able to have the conversations that you and I are having right now. And so because I'm able to, like relate to people and talk to them on a real level like i can just talk to Mackenzie next door or whatever is i don't need to like go there to like spill out thoughts as much Mm. as i used to um and then instagram for me is like i don't know it's just always been a place that i share my work like i feel like there's sometimes like i go through phases of like i'm gonna get like really personal on my instagram stories or whatever and then i'm like i don't know like it's just i don't know it just feels like a little like distant a little like like it feels a little like sculptured to me in a way where it's like I'm like literally curating every little part of this to make me feel relatable and maybe that's just me and like the way I feel but I don't Mm -hmm. know how do you feel we could see as far as like how do you use platforms to kind of build an audience
2: yeah I mean I think Twitter I literally didn't even know how to tweet until (laughs) like last year um (laughs) so I'm still figuring out the Twitter world but um for Instagram I think there's like a constant back and forth of like, okay, is this just my portfolio or is this like my personal, like, is this my personality? And like, I really haven't, I haven't shared like too much like personal stuff on there. It's more just my work, which I think is fine. Um, And I think people use it differently in different ways. And that's how you build different types of audiences. And I think for mouthwash, when we were trying to grow platforms um, or even just grow awareness like on our instagram it's like okay we can post our work we can post other people's work we can post promoting stuff we're about to do but Mm. we we kind of start started to have to get creative and i think um because there is a lot of david like what you said it's just a lot of the same there's so much on there it's super saturated a way we wanted to figure out to connect to our audience was like okay we can give things away. We can share our art. We can share posters. We can, um, and like giveaways are all over Instagram, but for us, it was more of like sharing our narrative. So like we did something with disposable cameras where each one of us, um, took a disposable camera and just shot a roll of whatever, like our day-to-day lives, just anything that was going on. And then we did a giveaway for it. And like, that was probably our most like engagement in a post because I think people have this, like fascination with like that personal element and it's you're not just getting a product you're not just getting like a free water bottle but you're getting like a peek into like the behind the scenes of mouthwash so we kind of used instagram as a platform and we have plans to continue to do this and like kind of stretch what it's used for and like bringing it off the screen and into people's hands and getting creative doing stuff like that
1: and that idea was actually inspired by you david when you were talking about the the mr usb where you guys as opposed to like giving like a, a photo pack away digitally, you guys just sent out like you shipped out like a USB yeah. uh, drive full mm-hmm. of like you know twenty random photos, and and we and we we're like yeah, I wonder, what would happen if we like just shot disposables over? Like are they like I would I was literally just like taking photos with like there was a coffee shop I go to every single morning in Echo Park called Woodcat. Um, and I would just like take photos of it or like my drink or whatever. And when we put, made that post and like kind of took the risk on the post where like, do people like really, really care about this? Like, do they actually care about like what I do every morning? And the answer is yeah, like they do. Well, it's just a fun thing to be a part of. No, I, I love that
0: like idea. And I feel like all the best ideas like that, at least from like a marketing perspective, always feel like the biggest risk. And I think people can kind of like sniff out whether or not it's like genuine and, um, like real, or if it's like you know, made as like a campaign or something like that. But that was definitely for us mm-hmm. at, least at Death to Stock. Like all the successful campaigns we ran were stuff like that, where um, it was just interesting and a fun thing to be a part of. And what's funny is actually that's how I met um, Chelsea and Matt Black. She bought the USB. Um, so oh, did she really? Like Yeah, which is really funny. I used to oh my in LA, And then... Um, you know, I went to the Matt black office and she's like, you know, I have that USB you guys sent out like two years ago. Or so <laughs>
2: that's amazing. Um,
0: you kind of never, That's know. awesome. Um, yeah. And I just think that's so different. So I, yeah, I love, I love that idea. Um, and yeah, I feel like you guys can even like expand that where it's like, you know, once a month you get like a, a postcard or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I really, I think. Right. Cool. Yeah. But, yeah. Just that. Well, it's, just, it's funny
2: too, because like my roommate, who has no interest in like, she's not a photographer. She's not a creative. When we were talking about the idea, just like in my living room, she was like, so people get this in the mail and then they have to pay to develop it. Like they have to do it themselves. She's like, I don't get why you would want that. So it's kind of going back to our point about like, like specific audience and like the kind of people you, the kind of people we want to follow us are the people who would want to take it and get it developed and pay for it to get those photos. That's even better. I didn't
0: know that. I thought you guys developed and sent it out, but I'm even that's <laughs> so much cooler. That they had to go do that. That's We're like, like, no, you can do yeah. it. Well, there's, there's like a like the the mystery stuff. element yeah, to it. Exactly. Right? Like the reveal almost. Um, man, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, I kind of wish just that people. I mean, I was talking about this with someone else kind of recently. Is like, I feel like everybody has ideas that are really interesting and fun and unique and those like show up and they're like they're like yeah that's cool but uh, i don't know i don't think anyone want that and then they instead go with like the really like typical kind of idea that is out there all the time they're like no i'll just do that like same campaign that everyone else is running right now you know like everyone right. is doing it. it's it's just kind of like too bad because i feel <laughs> i feel like it's like the opposite of what you should do and, and that's why it feels so hard too though because I feel like when those ideas show up, you're just like, I don't know. It just doesn't sound like it would be interesting to people, you know. It's always scary at first for yeah. sure.
1: Um while we have <clears throat> not too much time left, um, David, I kinda talk to you about where you're at now. Um yeah. I think I don't I don't know if it's public or not, so we can cut this out if we need to, but you're no longer like um with that's that's the stock, essentially, yeah. right? You kind of passed it on. Yeah. So um so you kind of want to talk about that. And sure. like I'm I'm kind of curious um to see like just to talk about like what it's like to like build something for you know 4 or 5 years or whatever and then um when's like the right time to like go or like move on to something Yes else? I still own the
0: company um but Sean saying shout out to Sean is CEO now um and I put in maybe yeah I think I worked on Death of stock for like 5 years uh it's definitely hard to it's hard to I'd say move on it's hard to make that decision um I guess I just felt like I'd like given those five years of my haul and I wasn't producing the same sort of like excited, creative, I guess, anymore. Um, so that's when I, you know, started thinking about like, what do I want to do next? And I didn't, I didn't want to like, I don't think, I think the reactionary thing to do, I guess would be to just like abandon it or just like, you know, I mean, it was still, it's still a successful mm-hmm. business. Um, and so it'd be kind of foolish for me to sort of like throw it away or like, I guess react against my own, um, interest in like doing something new by just like tossing it aside. So I wanted to leave it in really good hands. And, um, Sean had been working with me for, I think maybe a year and a half. Um, super smart guy. Honestly, he's already just doing so much incredible stuff with the business. It's been about three months. Um, and I still meet with him almost weekly and monthly as well. Um, but I think the thing that's, I guess, interesting about just this transition in general for maybe for people listening is that like, even that it's something that you can do. So I bootstrap the company. There's no investors, no board, anything like that. And I, it sounds funny, but like you sort of forget that that's like an option um, to even like,
1: hmm.
0: I don't know. Yeah, bring on other people and then go do the next thing. And um, yeah, I guess for me, kind of my vision for my career is that like I'll own multiple companies in multiple, multiple different industries. So um, I'm really interested in kind of doing this like portfolio approach where I do some consulting work. I own a company in, um, you know, the media space. Maybe I start an e-commerce company or something like that. Um, so that was always kind of like the goal, but um, it was definitely like a hard decision. And I will say, I tried to sort of do this maybe a year prior, and like had a lot of hard lessons about hiring people and transitioning a team. Um, and then it took maybe a year to sort of. Um bring on Sean who's just yeah doing an incredible job. So it's like, you know, fingers crossed, but it's working out really great right now. And I almost feel like Death of Stock is like in a better place uh than if it was just me and I'm in a better place because now I'm exploring new business mm. um ideas. And yeah, I'm already like it, it's funny because within the first like two weeks of like reducing my workload in death of stock to like basically like five percent of my time, ten percent of my time, like at first you're really kind of scared. Like it's sort of like leaving a job or something like that. You're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Um, but then, you know, very quickly after that, after like a week of that, um, feeling, I got excited about new businesses again. So, um, yeah, yeah. I guess the the process was I built and grew the company. Um, I felt like what I was adding to the business, isn't what the business needed. I think I'm more the, um, person who gets things moving and gets something like, you know, builds that community and audience and like get something really going. But I'm not like the optimization type of person and like taking it to the next level and Sean like totally is. Um and so it's actually been like really fun because uh yeah, I don't know, I, I feel like people are scared to like give up their baby, but I almost feel like I gave up my baby mm-hmm. but it's like in better hands. I'm like it's like with this like father who's like totally crushing it and like being like great to the <laughs> company. And I still get to like hang out with that baby whenever I want. Um <laughs> and someone, you know so yeah yeah. I, so,
1: um, yeah I i yeah like what you're saying is like essentially is like you did all that you could for what it was in yes. that season but now it's almost like as if where you're at now five years in it's like this could be so much bigger and greater and i think there is like a level like a, an extraordinary level of maturity which probably took you a while to get to to be able to let go of things like that because i think that's why um businesses fall apart or teams fall apart or whatever is because people can't let go of control like it's it's really hard
0: well really it was it's almost worse than that i i think i was really wrapped up personally in the business and that's like not a healthy place to be because you're not objective about like what needs to happen so i probably had two years Mm. where uh and this is like probably a a different topic for a different time but yeah i kind of like felt personally super attached to the company um and when you're that attached you sort of don't see things for how they are and so like the Mm. thing that took me that was like probably like a two-year lesson was Um, what does this business need right now versus like, what do I want right now? And what the business needed was someone who could like really like tighten up operations and and scale it. Um, And what I sort of wanted was different than that. So once I sort of, I guess separated me from the business and I could look at it objectively, it's like, oh yeah, like this is like (laughs) what the business needs right now. And that's why I feel like (laughs) I feel good, I guess about where I'm at now versus Um, If I had stayed kind of in that space uh, that I was like two years prior, I'd I'd probably like self-sabotage the company or something like that. I don't totally know. But like yeah, it won't be in a good place.
2: Well, that's something we talk about a lot too is like how creatives become better when you bring other people into it. And you had put so much time and like blood, sweat and tears into this for like the past five years that the best thing for like the creative of the company is to let people into that and like let other people speak into it. And obviously, yes, you need to like find the right people that you trust and like the the right fit. But I think it's really cool that now Sean coming in, he's been there a year and a half. I think you said like fresh eyes, fresh ideas that like, that's totally going to push the company forward and you get to be there like alongside of it, but kind of like hand over some of that control. And I think that's just like, I like one of the most important lessons like a creative or entrepreneur can learn is just like letting people into it to elevate it all and so I think like you doing that is a really cool example of that
0: yeah thanks it's funny I've been kind of saying this lately like the secret of like the dirty secret of the startup world is that it's like emotionally really difficult uh but it's actually emotionally Mm -hmm. really difficult with yourself like it's not actually though like I mean personally like I don't think that it's like stuff that comes up or like the problems that arise it's more like how you're like i guess working with yourself on these things and um yeah i just think through some through like i guess hard times and growth you're Mm -hmm. able to see a little bit more clearly and you're able to see that like a lot of the things that uh were problems were like problems of my own creation um or like yeah maybe Mm -hmm. you're keeping too much control or maybe you're like whatever it might be Um, So I think when you kind of like resolve some of that stuff more then the business stuff becomes a little bit more clear Um, and you take it less personal. It's like, yeah, like I, I think my strengths are this uh, and that's like great. And I think this person's strengths are, you know, something else. And that's what the business needs now.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're. You're moving on from death to start to do no agenda right
0: yeah so no agenda is one so the first thing i did um you know it's sort of like like i said leaving a job so you you wrap up doing this thing you've been doing for five years and you sort of say to yourself like okay what do i do now um and so the way i sort of start things is i do a lot of stuff at once like i do like a bunch of different tests um so i probably had maybe five ideas that I started kind of moving on all at once. Um, one of them was no agenda. Uh, the other one was that email list that we've been talking about. Um, and I have like a, a software thing that I'm building actually. that uh, I don't need to pitch here, but that's actually probably one of the things that is sort of taking the most uh, of my time and interest. Um, so yeah, I started like doing a podcast. Basically, it's just like you leave a job. like You just talk to as much people as you can. You put as many ideas on the wall as you can. And then you slowly start like removing them again. So at least that's kind of how I go through those creative seasons is like, yeah, start a lot of stuff and then cut out, you know, 90% of them. Um, and then that's kind of how you narrow it in on what's next. And, and like I said, like, I think at least as of now, my goal is sort of this portfolio business approach. Um, so especially if you're bootstrapped and you're kind of doing it yourself. So yeah, I'm doing some consulting work. I'm doing a writing, doing a, a podcast slash uh, live stream video. Called No Agenda that Mackenzie did amazing branding for, Um, and then uh, a lot of my time is actually on this kind of new software project that I'm working on that's been exciting as well.
1: Cool. Well, I guess we're gonna have to bring you back on (laughs) and talk about that one. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'll I'll share share with you guys behind the scenes. Cool. Um, Because do you have anything else to add? I think, I think, I think honestly, we could probably talk all day, and this felt like five minutes long, but for sure, I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure how long people would be willing to listen, so we'll just do it again sometime. Well, thanks.
2: Yeah, no, I think that was, it was super good. And like, David, I feel like one of the things that I respect about you the most is you're just like this wealth of even just ideas and thoughts and ways to think differently about things. So the perspective just like since meeting you that I've gotten about just creative ideas and creative thinking is we could talk about all of that stuff forever. Um, But no, this was great. Well, thank you.
0: Yeah. And i've you know for people listening i've worked now with both alex and Mackenzie on projects and like they're the real deal like you guys just get stuff done and you do it to a super high quality standard so like i said in the beginning like i feel like you guys are my inspiration too so it's, uh, it's like, we're, we're in the podcast with this little like love fest thing i guess
1: i know we're just over here gassing each other yeah like, everyone's right? eye one giant eye roll
0: happening it's okay
1: yeah, you have to um <laughs> yeah you gotta show the last but cool time. man uh, yeah right right Cool, David. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today, man. Um, we're actually going to, David has like literally a million things going on. So we're going to put all the links in the bio. I really encourage you guys to sign up for um, his personal email list. Um, just really awesome, like great ideas and thoughts going through there. Uh, Death the Stock is awesome too. They send out like a free photo pack every month. Or, are you guys still doing it like that? Yes.
0: Or is it Yeah, media is still going out. Um, I think it's a, it's it's about monthly at this point, And we'll be doing some okay. new stuff as well. Sean will be kind of put some new stuff through. So that'll still be a good
1: space. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, so Death of Sock will send out free photos every month. It gives you kind of a taste of the way they operate. There's usually like a really interesting story or narrative. I think I've learned so much from there. I've like found so many awesome photographers through there. Um, and then if you guys really like it, you can sign up for premium. Um, and yeah, also pay attention to some of the things that he's doing with No Agenda too. He has like some live streaming going on. There's just like really interesting conversations. So if you like enjoyed this type of conversation, I, I really felt like we were kind of in the like a No Agenda type realm. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right um david will be around i don't think he's going anywhere uh, he's a good friend of mckinsey and ours um like i said he's one of my heroes He's somebody i really look up to um so yeah uh thanks for joining yeah, us. yeah thanks so
0: much for having me i uh, really appreciate it and i'm looking forward to hanging in soon
1: totally cool talk soon
2: thanks again for listening to the mouthwash podcast for more information you can follow us on social media or check us out at mouthwash.com